When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Shot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZUSA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, Uplander Lifestyle, and Dakota 283. On this episode of the show, we're talking to Mike DeZiki, Grouse and Woodcock Hunter, owner of a whole bunch of short hairs and some English cockers. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 155. Welcome to it, another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Got a good show for you this week. It is Wednesday, November 3rd. Bear November days have arrived. I'd say so. Hunting season in full swing. Hunting has been excellent around here. Weather finally cooled down. Most of the cover's down. We've got some frost. It's a time of year where every waking moment. Well, speaking of English cockers, there's one running around my backyard chasing deer right now. It's like a nice little bird dog. Anyways. I am scrambling again this morning to get a bunch of stuff done, get a bunch of work done before I pack up and head for the cabin this weekend. A long-awaited annual grouse camp with some friends coming over from Michigan. It's our seventh year in a row getting together in the grouse woods, and I can't wait. Weather looks great. Hunting is awesome right now. It's going to be a fun weekend. Hope you're all getting out to enjoy some bird hunting, chase dogs in some wild places across the uplands, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this from. Hope you all have a great week slash weekend in the uplands and thanks again for tuning in to the show a couple quick announcements before we jump into the interview 
we have drawn the first winner from the Patreon giveaway. All those that have signed up for Patreon, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Patreon.com forward slash birdshot if you're interested in any of this stuff. October giveaway was a Dakota G3 medium kennel. That goes to Gray Schneider from Texas, one of the early Patreon supporters of the Birdshot podcast. Thank you to Gray and thank you to everybody else contributing and supporting in that way. I sincerely appreciate it. And remember, this month, November giveaway for the Patreon supporters will be a Dogtra Pathfinder Mini GPS caller. And the December giveaway will be a 2022 hunt out of Pine Ridge Grouse Camp in Minnesota. More details to come on that. Thanks for considering being a Patreon supporter of the show. But more importantly, thank you to each and every one of you tuning in and listening as often as you can. The one other thing I want to mention is a couple months ago, I did a poll on my Instagram account for Upland Pants. And I shared some of that information here. You may have caught it, you may have not. Long story short, the first light sawbuck pants were sort of the major front runner of that poll. They had a ton of recommendations. Well, somebody at First Light heard the show and offered to send me a pair back in September. I received them in October, promptly started wearing them, and just want to report back here that I really do like the pants. I was in need of something exactly like the Sawbuck pants, and so far I'm very impressed. They're not too light, they're not too heavy, kind of in that just right spot. And they've got plenty of protection for the covers that I hunt, which are pretty tame. But if I'm charging through a stand of blackberry canes on the way to a point, I'm not getting poked and prodded through the sawbucks every step of the way. I will say that I did have to have my pants hemmed. I got the shortest inseam, which I think I could get, which was a 32. And I'm not short. I'm six feet tall. And they were pretty long. I kind of like my hunting pants a little bit shorter anyway. So as far as I know, they didn't have a 30-inch inseam option. So I did have to have the pants hemmed. Keep that in mind. But other than that, fit, feel, function is great. I love them. I was in need of something exactly like the Sawbuck pants. And I like them so far. So just a little follow-up feedback there from the poll and everybody that submitted information and was inquiring about the responses that I got from people. All right, that's it. Let's get into today's show. Today's guest is Mike Deziki. He is a listener of the podcast, somebody that I have sort of gone back and forth with messaging over the years. And this is one of the things I love about the podcast is people listen and I end up talking to people and developing these relationships. And Mike and I both share a passion for grouse and woodcock hunting. And Mike's one of those guys actually that's always jabbing me to do more flushing dog content. And I always appreciate that from Mike. And he's got a couple English cockers. So while our entire episode isn't all about flushing dogs we definitely mix in a good chunk of that and it was a fun conversation with mike i think you'll enjoy it so with all that said let's welcome into the conversation and on to the birdshot podcast mike deziki and we're rolling on the birdshot podcast thanks for joining me today man yeah, no problem appreciate it yeah my pleasure to finally get you on the show you and i keep in touch often enough and we're always kind of messaging back and forth especially this time of year it's gosh it's october 26th and uh i did not get into the woods today how about you mike no no i'm working i'll get uh i'll get back in the woods probably this weekend yeah started a new job this week so um, huh. excited about that so you know kind of pumping with that and uh i'll go back out this weekend i got it enough dogs or they all get rotated so now it's starting the rotation all over again and we will see what we can do i yeah. mean it's it's been a good grouse year i mean we've moved as of right now we've moved 60 grouse more than last year okay and woodcock has been really weird 
by now, last year we moved 300 woodcock. And looking at my journal as of Sunday, we've only moved 145 woodcock. So definitely behind this year, behind your pace from last year. Well, I think a lot of it's got to do with the drought. Yeah. I mean, the the cover that we're hunting from one year to the next doesn't age that fast. Right. I mean, the area that we're hunting are going to be good for woodcock for another 10 years. They're only seven, eight-year-old cuts. And uh, if that, and we, you know, we hunted one spot. I have a friend of mine that comes up from Muscadet camps on county land for a month. And we hunted spots that we used to put up 50, 60 birds a hunt. And we're lucky if we found three. That's woodcock. Yeah, that's yeah. woodcock. Gr- yeah. Grouse, we're finding grouse in spots that we haven't seen them in four years. And we just tried it for a whim this year because. We weren't doing anything on Woodcock, so with that, let's try our old grouse spots. And um, yeah, we some spots were, you know, two, three, four grouse, and other spots were 10, 12, 14 grouse. So yeah. um, they're in areas that uh, we haven't seen. And yeah, man, you're jumping right into the bird report on me. I love it, Michael. We're definitely going to circle back to that. But let's uh, before I get too far ahead of myself and the listeners, let's let's introduce you a little bit. Just tell the listeners your who you are and kind of where you're from and obviously your love of bird dogs and bird hunting. Okay. Well, I, uh, I grew up in Massachusetts at first, uh, had dogs all my life. Uh, my dad was a dog lover and, um, we had some labs. I saved, um, two years cutting grass and, uh, shoveling driveways in the winter. I wanted a chest chesapeake pup because we had a place right on the cape in maine okay which was sea duck mecca yeah and uh, i wanted one of her puppies and at that time they were two thousand bucks Jeez. and yeah this was i'm talking 45 46 years ago that was an expensive dog so i saved two years (laughs) of shooting and cutting grass and i got my puppy and um she was an absolute beast. She, by the time when she was full grown, she was 110 pounds of solid muscle. And so we would, um, we had a big group of hunters and we would take them sea duck hunting in the morning. We'd come home, mom and grandma would make breakfast and we'd all change in a hunting clothes or upland clothes. And they had short hairs and setters and springers and cockers and everything under the sun and would go grouse hunting the rest of the afternoon and my dad's company got bought out so we moved to minnesota he worked for 3m and we grouse hunted in minnesota for years and then uh, i went into the service when the special forces for a while got out and uh, met my partner and um, we built a place in clear lake and in the meantime couldn't hunt couldn't couldn't have a dog where we lived so when we built the place i told her i wanted another hunting dog and got on the list of every dog i ever saw and hunted with over the years and uh talked to about 50 breeders and checked out dogs and settled on a short hair and um i've been with short hairs for 23 years now um got my own breeding operation 
And then two years ago, I wanted to add another dog to the kennel. And I was looking, I wanted a setter. She didn't want a setter. So I thought, all right, hunted with cockers over the air. That I want a cocker. She said, fine, find a cocker. So I found a breeder in Minnesota, bought Tess, uh, knew nothing about cockers other than what I hunted with. Had a friend of mine that lives in Arkansas now. He helped me with her. And a gentleman by the name of Andy Cullen, a well-known breeder and trainer in Scotland. Him and I are real good friends. Okay. He uh, he helped me over uh, private PMing on what I needed to do with her. He wanted a report every week on how she was doing. And um, she... Uh, turned into it you know she's not a trial or a test dog i didn't buy her to trial she's a hunt dog you know i just bought her as a hunting dog so i wanted one and uh she um turned into a little grouse finding machine i hunt with a friend of mine that had spaniels for 30 years and now he's got english pointers and we hunt together all the time and he just looks and smiles he said that little dog is a cracker and He's British, so you know he th- that that to me from him that's a compliment. Sure, yeah, I got gotcha. you. But um, she uh, she's a nice little dog, and uh, got a whim that I wanted another one, and uh, got on a couple of lists, and that didn't work out, and got on um, Gun Dog Central, and found some puppies, and hmm. talked to a breeder in Kentucky for quite a while, and got references from him and talked to his previous owners and you know and I was blunt with them I said I don't want to be I don't want any smoke blown up my ass I want the truth you know what are the dogs like what does he like and everybody gave me good you know they're like we're not going to lie to you we're you know he's a great guy the dogs are ph- phenomenal he's not a big breeder he, you know he breeds good dogs he watches what he breeds and uh, called him and talked to him for about an hour and he had four females, which I wanted. So he's like, well, I'm keeping this, but you have choice of whatever you want. So two of them that I really liked. And three days of humming and hemming and looking at pictures and back and forth and talking to Jenny about it. And finally decide on a uh, a liver and white, a beautiful little liver and white pup. So on the 13th of uh November, we're going to, he lives in, so we're going to meet him in Effingham, Illinois. He's going to drive halfway. Okay. And we're going to get, uh, get Molly. Cocker number two. Yeah. We're going to have, that'll be Cocker number two. So she'll go, she'll be with, uh, like I told the breeder, she won't be by herself. I got eight short hairs and we got three Pembroke Welsh Corgis. So <laughs> she'll never be, never be by herself. You got a regular pack. Over there, Mike. Yeah, we got a well, plus, <laughs> plus the five horses. Oh boy! So yeah, we got Old McDonald's Farm over here. <laughs> oh, animal lovers, that's good stuff, man, dude. It sounds like I mean there was there was never any doubt as far as bird dogs and this bird hunt business goes for you. You're, that that goes way back. Oh yeah, I mean we were we were hunting with my dad and grandfather when we were kids and just walking along with them. Yeah. You know, and, um. You see, my dad grew up in Europe during the war, so he started hunting late. Really? Okay. Yeah, and um, 
So he got into it heavy after the war and my grandfather and they had dogs and, you know, they're like, you kids need to uh, enjoy the outdoors. So, you know, we fished a lot. I mean, hunting, duck hunting and grouse hunting were a big deal to the family. Yeah. So then when, you know, my other two brothers, they don't hunt anymore, but I've kept up the tradition that my dad and grandfather got us started on. And uh, he died, unfortunately, too early. I think he really would have liked the dogs. He uh, he was a dog lover. He um, When I was in the military for a while, he kept my chest for me. And I'd always write him and ask how she was doing. Oh, she brought back 13 ducks for everybody. She's happy. So That's cool. She got to do what uh, she got to do what she loved to do, and when she died at 18 years old, there was an ex-army ranger crying like a two-year-old. Wow, man! So yeah, I, I lost her pretty bad. She uh, she would take my mother would laugh at the neighbors. She's like, "Aren't you worried about the boys at the bus stop by themselves?" And then she's like, "They're not by themselves. They got Satan satin with them." Yeah. our dog would walk us up to the bus stop and sit there and wait. And then at three o'clock, mom would wake her up and say, go get the boys. And she would run up and wait for us and then come back to the house with us. And my mom would tell the neighbor, God forbid, if anybody tried to grab one of those kids, they'd be in trouble. Yeah. She, uh, she was a protective dog. She, uh, she was my buddy, but moving to the Midwest, yeah, there's duck hunting. I mean, unless you go to the Dakotas, but Minnesota and Wisconsin are nothing like Maine. I mean, yeah. you'd have hundreds of ducks, hours flying by. I mean, you would pick your shots and take one bird out of every third or fourth flock that came by. Otherwise, you're done in a half hour. Yeah, wow. I hear, I hear stories about old-time duck hunting around this part of the, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and it sounds as though it was certainly better than it than it used to be but not like that yeah you know and it's just we duck hunted minnesota a couple of times we um hunted the river bottoms out of hastings yeah but you have to be there at two o'clock in the morning Mm. to get on your spot because everybody wanted the islands on the river yeah so if you wanted an island you had to be there at three o'clock in the morning sitting on an island and i'm like i'm not doing this anymore it's ridiculous (laughs) Are you, uh, do you do any duck hunting at all now? No, I've, I've completely given that up. I mean, I thought for a while I kind of live in uh, goose hell around here. Yeah. And I kind of thought about getting back into goose hunting and I'm like, uh, I don't, uh, you know, then I would want to get a Chesapeake again. Sure. sure. You have to buy, you have to buy all the gear and. You know, well, I feel like you're kind of at that spot where you got so many dogs, you know, you could always do the, well, what's one more kind of thing, you know? Well, that's why I'm getting another cocker. <laughs> yeah. And Jenny, Jenny likes the cockers because they're they're smaller. And it, it's totally, unless you've been around one, they're a totally different animal. I mean, my, my short hairs are family raised. So I let them out and they'll come running up to you and then they'll take off and go chase you know, birds around the yard where the cocker Tess is by you constantly, always checking on you, always seeing where you are. Her eyes are constantly, they call it the cocker stare. Her eyes are always on you. Locked on. Yeah. And, um, so, and she, and she is 
this is her first real full season because she was still a pup last year. Yep. And um, she uh, put up her first grouse in September and got into the game, and now she's just an absolute whirlwind. Her uh, her only vice is she's a water fanatic. So if there's water in the trail, she's going to go crashing through there. A friend of mine said, yeah, she's going to do her water zoomies before she hunts. <laughs> so she, um, he shot a woodcock in St. Croix. And I said, where's Tess? And there she is halfway in the river bringing the woodcock out. So <laughs> Couldn't being stop a water her. fanatic has its pluses. And, you know, sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I have not spent much time at all around cockers but actually a buddy of mine in town he listens to the show he's got one he now has a setter but he's he you know obviously it sounds like it's not uncommon but he described the same thing you know his setter is you know comes up and says hi but then choom, he's gone running around the yard or whatever but his cocker like won't leave his side and that's no yeah, yeah. she they they constantly want to be with you yeah you know which and, and it's a totally different type of animal yeah you no know, um, you know, my uh, my friend who lives down south, he's got seven short hairs and an English setter now. And um, he's, you know, his setter is a little different, too, than the short hair. But he's like, the test is totally focused on where you are and what you're doing. And she's like that with hunting. I mean, she probably goes up about 30 yards. And she's always, she'll do her pattern and spin and look at me to see where I am. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I. I could told a friend of mine, I'm getting into this cocker thing. I really, I'll always have short hairs that are, uh, I'll, I'll never not have a short hair, but, um, I could see probably having three or four cockers someday down the road. Yeah. Take up a lot less space and you can put two on the side of the box. That has its advantages for sure. Yeah. I've even noticed a difference with my first setter. He's 50 pounds and Rose is gosh she's probably not more than 35 and a little bit smaller and but she's she's just as capable and uh yeah i don't mind that smaller package yeah it um yeah you know it's funny jenny would say oh i don't want the hair with the setter well now she's got the hair with the cock i was wondering what what the aversion to the setter was was, my assumption was the hair yeah (laughs) well now she's got well see because my dogs are in the house Our, our dogs and everybody laughs. My dogs are spoiled rotten. And yeah, I mine are too. <laughs> they're my dogs to spoil. During the day when I'm at work, they're in the barn. We tore out all the kennels. We built 10 by 10 stalls. Oh, cool. So yeah. Two or three dogs in a the stall. They got uh, dog houses crammed with hay. They got heated Nelson waterers. So they've got warm water. And if it's freezing cold, I'll let them out and feed them in the morning. If it's 20 below, 30 below, right before I go to work, I bring them back downstairs in, the, in their crates in the basement, and uh, she'll let them out every couple hours. There's no reason for them to be outside when it's that damn cold. Yeah. And if it's 90 degrees out there, they're downstairs in the basement sleeping in the air conditioning. Sure. You know, everybody's like, they're like, your dogs live better than I do. And I'm like, well, my dogs point birds. You don't. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to do it any other way. My, we've got a, I've got a little garage kennel set up now, and they spend plenty of time out here, which, you know, it's it's not roughing it by any stretch, but, yeah, they're bird well, dogs. You know, 
if if it weren't for if I didn't if I lost all my dogs all of a sudden, I would sell every shotgun I have. I would not hunt again ever. If something happened and I lost every dog in the kennel, I would sell all my gear, donate all my clothes, sell my collars. I, I just hunting with you know, and a lot of guys do it, and, you know, and that's if that's your choice. More, but I hunt with a friend of mine, and I'm not, you know degrading him at all but he he reminds me of the old classic meat hunter where he's not happy unless he brings back birds and he's retired so he can hunt a lot and i finally i hunted with him this year and i finally looked at him and said you know what i work a lot and my time out hunting is with my dogs if i bring back birds hey it's great if i don't bring back birds i'm still with my dogs I'm having a good time and I don't worry about it. You know, it's, I've hunted, I used to guide grouse hunters. Yeah. I, I shut down my guide business about three years ago. And it's like, these guys were just pissed off and they missed birds and you know they didn't get enough. And I'm like, dude, it's 50 degrees, blue sky, sunny, enjoy it. Right. So if you can't enjoy this, don't do this. You know, it's just, yeah. Well, I, well, I think having, having the dogs and then obviously the connection that you build with your own dogs, it it certainly opens your eyes to, you know, a, I don't know if deeper is the right way, but like a different appreciation for it. Whereas, you know, if I go out in the woods and I don't come back with a bird, like I probably only have myself to blame because more than likely my dogs gave me some opportunities and I missed them or whatever, but oh, right. I, you know, you're, you're not, yeah. I don't care what you say. You're not going to go out, especially grouse hunting. You're not going to go out every time and get some birds. Yeah. Because as the season progresses, they're going to get wilder and wilder. And and like, you know, when I PM you that one time, I said, these the birds, they were running from day one. Mm. It was like they were hunted for a month already. And, you know, it's the one thing with Tess is uh, normally I'll hunt the pointers by themselves and I'll, and I'll hunt two short ears. And then while rotating, I'll take Tess. While with the birds running so bad, I would take one short hair and Tess. And Tess would hang a little closer. And my short hairs run, tend to run a little bit bigger. They would go on point, And Tess would hear the beeper and look at me out there. All right, get going. And she would cover that ground in front of that bird. Nine times out of ten, she'd put the bird up. Yeah. And the birds that we got up, that we got, were running birds that Tess put up. That... Had we kept falling with the short hair, we probably may not have gotten. Because she's such a tenacious thing that. Um, right. Yeah, it's next door neighbor watches her in the yard, and she says she is the way she is now. I just can't imagine what she is in the woods. And I said you should come with me sometime because just they don't. Gentlemen in England said they don't hunt the cover; they shred it. <laughs> yeah. They, they they tear the cover apart. You know, and it, it's you know coming from a pointing a, a guy that's had pointers for 20 plus years and been around them all his life. It, it's just a total different world. You, I mean, you have to be on your a game all the time. Now, as I've hunted with her more and more, I've gotten to know, you know, you learn that with your, with your dog, when, you know, getting birdie, when you need to be ready. Yep. And with, with Tess, you, you can tell by her mannerisms, you can tell her, I used to hunt with a guy that had a lab. Matter of fact, he used to hunt with the grouse commanders. 
out in Michigan. Oh yeah, Fritz and Rick. Yeah, you know, he used to hunt with them, and he had a, a lab that he got. As a matter of fact, he got from them. And okay. I hunted with him one time, and he said, "Watch your body and watch her tail. When it starts going really crazy, she's on a bird." Yeah. And the first couple of birds, I, I blew, I botched. And the third bird, I finally understood what he was saying. Her body movement got faster. Her tail got faster. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, that's the way Tess is. I mean, she's 90 miles an hour as it is to begin with. But her her tail starts going even faster, and her pattern gets tighter. So she'll be 30 to 40 feet in front of me doing a, uh, a windshield wiper pattern. Yep. When she starts going a little bit straighter... I know she's on a running bird. She's she's working set at that point. Yeah, she's yeah. working set, you know. And um, I'm real curious about, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit, and I just, I have not had the chance to hunt over a whole lot of flushing dogs, and it's something I want to do more of. And especially as I get deeper and deeper into rough grouse hunting, I just, man, like I've, I've got seven, seven going on eight years under my belt now hunting kind of over my pointing dogs. And as much as, as much fun as I have doing it, you know, I'm always like, you know, being super analytical on like what's happening. And I, I ran them last night and shoot last night. We had a, we were out for two and a half hours and I had 20 grouse contacts and you know, that that's all, was a lot of birds to put up. It was a really fun hunt. I had a blast. I did some shooting, put some birds in the bag, but it's like you run the gamut of like a couple of foot flush birds, a couple of birds that were unintentionally bumped by my pointing dogs, a couple of birds that were pointed worked and then bumped and then had some and then you got some pointed birds where and this is what like what i'm really curious about like some pointed birds where you just they're not going to give you a chance like you don't right. get you don't get into the point or they're taken off before you get there like it's just grouse don't play fair and sometimes you just you don't even have a chance and i just wonder i wonder how having a flushing dog or like you've got you know a pointing dog and a flushing dog on the ground at the same time how that would sort of change some of those scenarios well, I work mainly with my older dogs who, uh, cause I've got a well, 12 year old who's her last year and I got an eight and a seven year old, her daughter and another one. And they're rock study, rock solid, rock solid, steady on point. Sure. Yep. Um, yeah. You don't want a young pointing dog. That's going to be right. you don't want coming young, unglued. Yeah. They, they have hunted with Tess enough now that they know that if they go on point and I come up there, there's nothing there that, you know, and I, they sell them. I mean, I do, uh, I'm a AKC hunt test judge and I do hunt tests and some of my dogs are senior dogs. I don't have any master dogs because I don't want a master dog. And don't get me wrong. It's a lot of work to get one and it's pretty and all that, but I want my dogs free thinking and relocating on their own. Okay. This isn't a field trial. This isn't a hunt test. We're bird hunting. Our ultimate goal is to hopefully bring some birds home. Yeah. So I want my dogs thinking on their own that if I'm coming up behind them and that dog is moving, I don't want to have to run up and tap them on the head. I want them going. And with Tess, once she starts seeing the dog cat walking, then she's in, oh, I'm in crazy mode. And she's circling the dog. And the two that we got on Sunday – she actually flushed back at us. Right, right, right. The birds were running, and she got up far enough ahead of them. Yep. And so she's a, she's actually paying attention to the to the pointing dog, seeing the yeah, pointing she'll dog. Yeah, watch and see what they're doing. Yeah, wow. if I hunt her with the pointer, she'll look at them, 
and you know, she'll stay with me and she'll look at her. If I tell her to go or tell her back, she'll circle around that dog and try and find whatever's running them short. And the, you know, the short hair won't break. Right. Cause I'll tell Kia or else that I, you know, whoa, they'll stay there and we'll let the cocker do her job. But you know, and, and that's just from working to do it. And I'm, I'm far from being a spaniel expert. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some of the spaniel guys would find flaws in her. Sure. And honestly, I, I really don't care because I, I didn't buy her to be a trial dog. I didn't buy her to win championships. I bought her as a hunting dog and as a family dog. And I am having a blast with her. And the guys that hunt with her, I mean, these guys have been hunting for, well, I've probably got, other than the military, I've probably got 40 years of grouse hunting in. Yeah. And these, uh, these guys have got more than that. And they're like, that, that thing's a rush. <laughs> I, I got two guys from Kentucky. They're old clients of mine. And, um, they still come up every year. You know, they have, um, they they have some really nice setters and English pointers and, they found out I had a cocker and the guy's like, Oh my God, you're going to love her. She's a riot. Cause they, uh, uh, what they do a lot of stuff on plantations. Okay. And, um, he said, yeah, all the plantations now are getting rid of the labs and going to cockers. And, um, he said, you're going to just love her. Well, they came up this year. They didn't come up last year because of COVID. And I would talk to one gentleman, uh, Mr. Charles, and he's like, how's your cocker doing? I said, I think you're going to like her, Mr. Charles. He goes, you know, you can call me Bob. I said, yes, sir, but you're going to like her. Mm-hmm. And he took him out. And uh, that's the day that we put up 28 grouse that day. And um, couldn't ask for a nicer day. I mean, probably 58 degrees, 10-mile-hour wind. I mean, something that you read about in a magazine. And uh, birds were thick. Still couldn't find any damn woodcock. The, oh, and this I, is this year you're saying? Yeah, this year it was uh, three weeks ago. Okay, yeah, it was still a little warm then, and like maybe we'll get yeah. into this, but you know it's been warm and we haven't had any frost, and that's been kind of a weird thing going on, but that's changing now. Yeah, I mean, a couple of guys saying that they're seeing, but the problem, I think, it, in some spots, is too dry, and the birds are either flying through or they're flying towards water. Yeah. Now, I mean, Saturday, I'm going to, um, so I'm going to start hunting towards the river and see if the woodcock are sitting there because in the traditional woodcock spots that we hunt, they're not there. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious what, yeah, I'll be curious to kind of get your report after the weekend. Cause I, I mean, I know that river Valley and it's, there's, there's a lot of woodcock cover in there and they, there tends to be a lot of woodcock from my well, experience. We put up 300 woodcock last year. Yeah. I mean, the cover hasn't changed that much. Yeah. It's a year older. Well, that's not going to stop the woodcock from flying there. You know, and it's, I mean, the best day, because he, he camped, like I said, he camped up there a lot. The best night he had, day he had, was 25 woodcock. Last day, last year, the last day we hunted together, before he went back home, I had, uh, he had, he had his whole pack. I had my 12-year-old and I had her six-year-old daughter. And we hunted a spot that, we usually save for the woodcock flights and the grouse came back big that year in that area. So we hunted cause he wanted to go home that day. So we said, we're going to hunt till like 11 or noon. And I think it was 1130. We were turning around, heading back to the truck and we had 26 grouse and 72 woodcock. Wow. And I had to put my, I had to give my gun to him, turn the beepers off on the two other dogs 
and literally drag them out yeah. of the woods because they would not leave the woods alone. Yeah. Now, my little 12 year old black and white short hair, we call her um, Doodlebug. That's her nickname because <laughs> she is, and now I don't brag about a lot of my dogs. I mean, I know they're good and, I, and people who have hunted with them know she's they're good. But I had a gentleman from uh, Michigan who was a field trial judge. So he judges all the uh, cover dog trials. And a friend of his came over we were grouse hunting and woodcock hunting. And we got into a flight of woodcock. I think we put up 55 that day. And she pointed probably 40 out of the 55. He just laughed. He said, that little dog is a woodcock magnet. <laughs> and she's been hunting woodcock. She's 12 now. And she's been hunting woodcock since it's been six months. Right. I mean, that that's her deal. Yeah, she'll hunt grouse, but I save her for the woodcock flight because I know with her we're going to find at least forty birds. Yeah, if they're there. Yeah, no, and knowing you know what what a normal contact year would look like for woodcock, you right. know, you figure twelve seasons, like she's she's seen a lot of woodcock. Oh yeah, she's seen. I'd have to go through my journals. I keep a yeah. journal every year, and um, every day it's weather conditions, who I'm hunting with, what dogs, what gun, what ammo, what location, you know, then on the back, I'm writing what we did, what we saw, how the dogs did, blah, blah, blah. And I'm kind of working on a, a book. A friend of mine finally convinced me to work on a book. That's going to be, uh, we haven't really come up with a title for it yet. We're about, I'm about halfway through it. And um, it's going to be similar to uh, uh, Frank, Jarzio's book, uh, 50 Years of the Gross Hunter. Oh, yeah. Where he just talks about it. I never did read that book. Oh, my I, God. That, if you get I, I it, the book to. is phenomenal. Okay. Yeah, that yep. um, Frank's, uh, and I've I've met Frank, and he's a hell of a, uh, every time he writes a book, I'm like, all right, I'm getting it. So yeah. Get, Jenny will be like, hey, there's a new book. I'll get it for Christmas. I'm like, no, I already got it. <laughs> when you, when you are, uh, well, a couple things. If you need uh, if you need help crowdsourcing the name of your book or something, maybe we can uh, maybe we can ask the audience, yeah, audience yeah, for, for some ideas. <laughs> what's the what's the general theme? Grouse and woodcock hunting, or yeah, or grouse, what is grouse and woodcock hunting in in um, you know northern Wisconsin? It's um, okay, and it's not a how to. It's it's just sort of your your experiences, right. stories, there's, tales. There's a lot of different people in there. Um, the guys okay. the guys from Kentucky. Um, my friend that camps, another gentleman that I hunt with, and uh, a couple of guys and his daughters that learned to grouse hunt. Now one of them is a grouse hunting fanatic. Mm, that's she's got cool. A, got a place of her own, and she's got uh, two English setters and three French Britneys. Awesome. And um, yeah, she's she's a grouse hunting guru. I mean, every time I turn around, she's going grouse hunting. Might have to put me in touch with her. We could maybe we could interview her. Or yeah, something. yeah. I'll have to I'll have to talk to her. She uh, she's a critical care nurse and she goes when she can. And um, she's you know I've I've watched her dogs for a couple of times and you know when she's been really swamped I'm like bring them over here. I get the room. Yeah, they can play yeah. with my pack. <laughs> you know, well, that's cool. I, I I like books like that. You know, I mean I I like taking in information too and studying and you know the different how to stuff. But I. I like reading books. Well, that, about that's just like my bird hunters. my library downstairs is probably yeah. oh I don't know two hundred books, and I think there's maybe one on how to grouse hunt. Yeah, 
everything else is uh, Tap Tapley, George Bird yeah. Evans, uh, Lundegren. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, I don't need somebody to tell me how to grouse hunt. I've done it. But when it's 40 below and miserable, look, you know, and Jenny and her mom are gone shopping or done something, I'll turn on the coffee pot and go down to the library and bring up a George Bird Evans book or a Ted Lundgren book and, yep. you know, read. Read about a beautiful October right, day. Right, exactly. Read about an October day and birds flying when you look outside uh, and you got four feet of snow. That sounds like a great way to kill a winter day, man. I like it. <laughs> you know, as I've gotten, I mean, I'll be 60 next year, you know, and as, as I've been doing this more and more, it's just like, you know, buddy of mine goes, you got to really go through those journals and write something down. He said, it, it, it would be, if nothing else, for yourself. Right. So I, I, get, I, I got a big rough draft that I've started and uh, he looked at it and he said, oh man, this would be a cool book. Are you jotting stuff down, pen and ink? You put yeah, it in the computer, pen, pen and okay. ink, and then okay. give it to him, and he's got it on his computer and okay. edit okay. it and blah blah blah. So, um, but you know, and he he's a new new grouse hunter. He just got into it a couple years ago. He's got one of my puppies, and um, you know, he's just like I don't know where to go. And I said, you know, there's so I said where to go is not your problem. You just have to know what to look for. I, you know, I, I told him spots yeah. we could hunt. And, uh, you know, when I first started out, I basically went by plat books mm-hmm. yep. and then I went to, uh, that hunt and scout app. Yep. Scout now, hunt. It's kind of, now I strictly use Onyx. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I've been hunting County for 20 years now that I know all the spots, but yet every spring, I go up there or every summer I drive up there with my plat book and a marker and I found seven new spots this year that I never knew about. Yeah. Off of beaten roads, off of beaten paths. And, uh, my plat book looks like a three-year-old has been coloring in it. <laughs> you know, and it's my, I mean, my Onyx, uh, content library has got right 80 or 90 spots in there. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, um, you know, the tool, the tools and technology have certainly developed since you started hunting. That's well, yeah. Sure. I mean, we didn't. Have, I, I, there wasn't any uh, hunting scouting and right. when I first no started. forestry data or no. Uh, it was basically boots on the ground. Yeah, you got a plat book and you, you looked down a road and eh, that looks like and you would drive it. Hey, this is good cover. And you would write the name of the road on the map and come yeah. back in the fall and. uh yeah, there's a lot of spots that eventually you scratch off your list, but but then yeah. you find new spots. Yep. You know, it's and it's um Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. 
For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. That's funny. Like when I was, you know, when I was in high school, I got my driver's license. That's when I really started independently grouse hunting. And I mean, we were we weren't even smart enough to use plat books. I mean, we were like the most inefficient <laughs> grouse hunters. But we found, you know, we we learned cover just by driving driving around looking for stuff that you know. Eventually, you walk enough trails and you spend enough time in the woods, you kind of learn. Okay you know, girls like to be in this thick stuff. And, you know, I probably didn't even know what I was looking at a popple tree, but right. we, we just knew that up there in Minnesota, the laws are a little different where, you know, if your line area, if your land is not posted, you know, you can pretty much hunt, right. you can hunt, you can hunt private unposted land in yep. the forested part of Minnesota. So we, we knew we could do that, but I think for the most part, we were, we were hunting public land and just, you know, just basically like looking for it and trying stuff and walking around. And I mean, now I'm way more efficient in the areas that I'm checking out and looking at. Cause I usually know what I'm getting into, but I'm, I'm going there to put my eyes on it because obviously that's the only way to really see I mean, what you got. The, the apps can show you, but you have to look at it because when I had that other app, it said, Oh, this is all young Aspen cut. And I'm like, I don't remember this being young Aspen cut. So yeah. I drove one day and, well, apparently, I haven't been there in about five or six, so apparently they cut it. But it's like, okay, you can look at an app, but you still have to get there and look at it and go, yeah, okay, this is too young for grouse, but maybe woodcock will be through here. Yep. Or it's too old for woodcock, but yeah, I might pop a couple of grouse out of here. Or it's regenerating poorly. It's right. full of grass. Right. I mean, you, you never know until you get that. That's exactly right. But I'm, I'm amazed of how many grouse we have kicked out of non-traditional grouse cover talk to me about that what do you mean by non-traditional grouse cover what Hardwood, are you seeing hardwoods yeah we have gotten i mean i can't believe the number of well but they've been feeding on acorns mm-hmm. yep and we we uh when i went up sunday by myself with the young pup and my two-year-old i hunted pines and older cover and we still put up 11 birds because they were in the pines and they were feeding on acorns. Yeah. And um, most people don't, you know, they want to hunt traditional grouse cover. Well, there really is no traditional grouse cover because the birds are going to be. Like everything's grouse cover to right, a certain extent. The birds are going to be where they need to be at that certain time. Yeah. Yep. And if the acorns are on the ground, they're going to be feeding on acorns. And that's where we've put a friend of mine. He texted me last night that he put up 29 grouse and out of the 29, 18 of them were in pines. You know, he's like, so I'm not even hunting. What do you think I should be hunting? The amount of miles that I used to put on the vehicle in the summer driving, I would spend a whole day driving with a plat book and writing down roads and circling roads and, and looking at cover and, come back and go on uh 
county maps and making sure it was all kind that's what i like about the onyx program though because right. i know you, you know right when you're in the spot you can see your gps location yep. and, and yeah. i know exactly that i'm not trespassing on somebody's property yeah uh, yeah it's it's efficiency for sure as far as like and again people have limited time in the field and you're trying to make the most of it while you're out there like tools like that i mean i see that as a it's a huge value add to be able to you know, make sure you are you know maximizing your time out there you know, it, it's, you know, and it's not that, I mean, I, granted, I only pay half what everybody else pays. They have a, they have a vet rate. Yeah. But even if do. I didn't $29 a year, that's, that's nothing to get that app and to help you find if you're pheasant hunter or turkey hunter, or even, you know, to find spots that you can hunt. Yeah. You know, it, well, especially for a guy that used to buy plat books. I mean, you know how much those cost. They were one one plat book costs you more than a statewide subscription to Onyx. Yeah, I think. Well, I got to get a new county one next year, and I think I think they went up to thirty five bucks now. So you still buy them just because you like marking them up? Oh yeah, I still buy them. <laughs> I suppose I suppose you're chipping into the county coffer a little bit. Well, but the uh, they change. Because people, uh, land is forfeited. Right, right. And it yeah. turns back into the county. So my, when I got to, I got to 2018 now. So I'll have to get a new one. Well, I kept to 2015 just to compare it. And it was amazing how much it changed in yeah. three years. There was more land in the area that I hunted that went back to county than, than went public or private. So yeah, I still, I still buy every four years or three years, whatever, whenever they come out. And they get changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I called Onyx one time, like how many content pages can I have? And he's like, I think you can have 300. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So I got another 230 spots. I got to put on there, (laughs) you know, which I probably could if I marked every spot we hunted, but you know, it's, but some spots, you know, they're, they're better when it's windy some spots that are better sure. when they're wet, yeah. you know, and which we didn't have a problem this year because it was never hardly, I think I lost, I lost two days of hunting the rain this year. Hasn't been many. No. And it, and I didn't go the second time cause it was really, he was camping up there and he texted me, he goes, it's pouring. I'm like, yep, I'm not coming. Forget it. Yeah. It's like, it's not worth driving that and then turning, hunting maybe 20 minutes and turn around and come back home. Like, no. I got stuff to do around the house, get ready for winter. So going back to some of that non-traditional grouse cover stuff, I, it's interesting. I I have yet to be, up until this past weekend, I had not hunted oak country. I mean, like where I tend to hunt in Minnesota, like there's just, there aren't really any oak trees. I mean, there's some, but it's not like other areas. Uh-huh. And so I, um, I'm over hunting that kind of country over the weekend and my first spot I hit, you know, it's a, it's sand country, hardwood, you know, I was hunting and I was hunting near an Aspen cut, but I knew it had these big Oak flats kind of bordering it. And I was 15 minutes into the hunt and I'd put up six grouse and they were right on the edge of this, just in this patchy little scrub Oak Aspen mix with big mature Oaks on the borders. And I ended up, I didn't, I didn't kill any of those or no, I killed one of the first six and then I hunted all the way around this big loop and moved a few more birds and eventually ended up killing another bird up towards the top, same spot. And sure enough, both of those birds had acorns 
in their crop. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're feeding heavy on acorn. Now, if I go up tomorrow or this Saturday or Sunday, I know exactly where I'm going. There's a, there's a, it's, it's a fire road, fire lane or whatever. Fire yeah. lane. It's not named. Yeah. And, um, I hunted it last Sunday. No, I'm going to be smart this time. I'm going to drive half of it because I walked it last time. Yeah. And it was a long walk back. Cause I think we went down about four miles and we had to come back around four miles, but I'm going to drive it half this weekend and then keep going because I have yet to find where this road ends. Interesting. And all the cover is, I mean, it's perfect. There won't be a woodcock in it at all, but it's perfect growth cover. Aspen, pines, scrub oak, oak, water. There's a creek that comes through there. And like I said, with two young dogs learning the game, we put up 11 birds. I mean, the 10-month-old puppy had her first two grouse finds last Sunday. She come back after chasing the one bird with her tongue hanging, her eyes bugging out like, this is great. And I'm like, oh, welcome (laughs) to the grouse brotherhood there, little dog. Because now now she knows... uh, you know, and then after that, she was digging deep in the cover. She, oh, the birds are in here. All right. Follow me, Dad. Yeah. So let me ask you that. I'm trying to ask a question in a little bit different way. If I were going to go to a spot, you know, and I obviously haven't been there, so I can't visualize exactly what it is. But if I was going to try to hunt, let's say, oaks, you know, I would probably still look for, I'd probably still look for some kind of a, prime aspen cut oh, yeah. five to You'd 20 want- years old or something yep. that's budded right up to you know a stand of mature oaks and first thing i would do would be hunt right down the edge of it and a lot of times like i think i've talked about this before a lot of times what you'll see in the areas that i hunt is that gap or that seam in between where the aspen dies out and the mature oaks start usually that gets choked up with like hazel brush and deadfall and i mean it's just like it's just grouse cover well yeah i mean there there's spots along one of the roads that we park and we hunt the road. I mean, we're not literally hunting the road. The dogs are in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. We're you walking, got an edge there. Yeah. We're walking down the road and the dogs are in 75, 50, hundred feet in the woods. Yeah. And we got grouse blowing out from the road, yeah. you know? So it's, you know, you, you look at it and like, you know, you always want to hunt a traditional grouse, but there is no such thing. You know, it's grouse are going to move based on, Food, security, and water. They got to eat. They have to have somewhere to hide and roost, and they need water. Well, if there's nothing in a young aspen cut to eat, drink, or hide, they're going to move the cover where they can. Right. And a lot of people don't, you know, don't even think about hunting it. And it's like, you know, we, I mean, this year we concentrated on it a lot. I mean, I looked at John and I'm like, people were think we're crazy what we're hunting. Oh, that's where we're, I mean, we put up, as of last Sunday, we've put up 242 grouse. We've killed 29, 28, 29. But half of them have probably been in older cover, bordered by young cut or an older aspen lane. But there's pines and oaks and scrub and hawthorns. Yeah. I mean, I found six grouse, and if I found a patch of hawthorns where I was hunting Sunday, there were grouse there. They were feeding. Are you on finding the- any fruit on the trees? Yeah, they were feeding on okay. the berries. Okay. And um, that's where that little ten-month-old pointed her first grouse. 
yep. he came up on a little lip and I was watching the older dog and I looked over and Carly was her, all of a sudden her beeper went off. So I stepped up on the lip. She moved one foot. The grouse blew out, but it was like a foot off the ground. I didn't dare take a shot at it, <laughs> but, um, you know, she was solid as a, you know, as a 10 month old puppy could be on her second grouse hunt. Sure. You know, to me, that's what matters more. I had more fun that day with the two young dogs by myself for four hours. It was just me and the dog, the 10 month old learned what she was doing. She had fun. We had a really nice day. I got back to our truck and I'm like, you know what? Girls, we're done. We had a good day. Let's go home. Yeah. You know, and she, I talked to her and she said, how would it go? I said, you know, I told her how the young dog did. And she said, well, there you go. You got another grouse dog in the wings. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's nice because I, I, I'll never run out of dogs. Knock on wood, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, I've got a 12-year-old that I know is not going to be here forever. I lost a 12-year-old two months ago, and I know um, Kia's still in you know, good health, but I, I know her days are numbered, and it's just, you know, it's never good. But she's had, I've given her what I thought is the best life that I could give her. Yeah. You know, and she's been healthy. She's had really nice puppies. I got her daughter. And she's got to do what she's always wanted to do and chase birds. And I guess if that's all a bird dog wants, then she's living in bird dog heaven. Yeah, sounds pretty good to me. You know, it's just after being in the service and, and seeing death and, you know, it's losing a dog affects me more than that. Because when, when you get a dog, it's your responsibility to take care of them. That's right, yeah. And... You know, I mean, 20, 20 years, I couldn't have a dog, you know, when I was in the service. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I got a lot of dogs. It, it's, it's my place, my plan. Everybody goes, oh, you got a lot of dogs. I said, yeah, well, um, I guess my place and I take care of them and I feed them. So I said, you sounds gotta... like you enjoy them quite a bit too. Well, yeah. I mean, I live in a small town. We got about yeah. 3000 people. If that, I got five people on my street. Everybody's got 10 acres plus and everybody around us has got dogs. So you see, I mean, everybody knows everybody's dogs. So if you see a dog running around loose, you know, it's Tom's dog or Angie's dog or, you know, so it's just like, I mean, and I'll admit it. I spend more time with my dogs than I do with people. You know, it, uh, but, do Mike's dogs ever get loose and run around the neighborhood? Uh, a male did. <laughs> I had I had a male, I had a female in for breeding, and she ripped the door apart. Oh boy! And took off with the male in tow, <laughs> and they were gone for three days. Jeez! And in three days, I probably got six hours of sleep because I was constantly driving and looking for them and. The owner, the female, came up, and we were looking. And um, Jenny, um, we buy hay from we well, buy hay from a farmer, a friend of hers. We asked him to put out the word about the dogs, and we, and I was, it was. I got home at midnight, laid down till three. I got up at three thirty, turned down the coffee pot, took a shower, got dressed, was out the door at five with the truck flashlights and a 
a whistle and a headlamp. And um, at six o'clock, she called me. She's like, where are you? I said, I'm said, she goes, stay put. I think somebody found your dogs. Mm. She said, go eat something for go eat something. You haven't eaten in a while. So I went and got some breakfast and she called me back. She said, yep, somebody got them. They're at so-and-so's oh. place. Make sure you give them some money for holding the dog. They said, well, I already planned on it. Yeah. So I got to the house and the gentleman told me that they opened their garage door and the two dogs walked in the garage door huh. and he turned around and slammed the door shut Yeah. because he already heard that dogs, two dogs were missing. Yeah. Yep. So I got to the place and yeah, they were mine and the, and the bitch that was in the heat. And I wrote the, you know, pull out my checkbook and I said, what is your name? I can't take any money. I said, ma'am, I don't care what you do with this money. I was I got a hundred dollar check right now. I don't care what you do with this money. You're getting the money. Well, I'll donate it to the Humane Society. I said, ma'am, more power to you, but you're taking this check. You don't have a choice. I said, because I've been looking three days for these dogs. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's the only time that, I mean, I've got my main 13 acres, so they have all the room to run in. And they, they usually don't go meandering. If a bitch is in heat, then she don't, yeah, run, watch she don't run with the pack. Yeah. I'll run her by herself with a collar on her, but, um, they all stay close. I mean, they're too yeah. busy. We, we live in Tweety bird hell. Cause I got like seven or eight feeders. <laughs> and I think all the, the birds in the neighborhood know that I feed. So the dogs are chasing, um, chickadees and sparrows the whole time that they're outside. So knock on wood, I haven't had one. I've never lost one hunting either. Yeah. I've, Nothing I've, out I've there. Been, I've been lucky with that. I've had somewhere I had to uh, start looking for, and then they would come running back. But I've never had one where you know I'm like, oh my god, where the hell is the dog? Or are you running GPS collars on your pointing dogs? Yeah, I got a, a Garmin 100. Okay. Yeah. You know, and um, that helps. I mean, it's not I mean it's not fail proof, but that no, helps. it's not. But um, but I, I mainly run bells and beepers and yeah if they're gonna be stupid i'll put the, the garment on them just to know where they are but um you, you ever had any uh just got uh, just i kind of know where you hunt and stuff you ever had any run-ins with wolves or encounters or anything like that any strange not, situations not, knock on wood yeah 20 years i have never seen a wolf yeah ever i have the only and the only time i even heard a wolf i was in hunting with that friend of mine i was hunting the cocker and we split up. We were hunting. He was hunting an aspen cut. And he said, why don't you go down and hunt that scrub area? That's perfect for tests. He said, there's acorns down there. They might be feeding on acorns. So I took her down there. And we put up a bird that I got. And um, all of a sudden, I heard a wolf howl about 200 feet in front of me. Hmm. And about five minutes later, I heard one to the west of me howl. And I'm like, all right, little dog. And I, I had my nine on my hip. And uh, I'm like, you know, let's uh, go and meander our own way. I mean, I have no problems with wolves being in the woods because they were here before us. But yeah. I'm one of the first people that would say they need to be, there has to be a management plan. I mean, we, we manage deer and we manage bear. Right. But you don't want to manage the alpha predator. I, I don't know. You know, and granted, last year's wolf hunt was a, was a nightmare. They killed way too many wolves, 
but there there has to be some type of management plan to to keep them in check. Then why are you hunting bear if you don't want to hunt the wolf? Quit hunting bear too. Then you know. I mean, it's I, I just don't get it. I mean, I don't mind that they're there. I mean, I'm I'm cautious. Yep. I know all the bear hunters up there. They, I know for a fact that their dogs, you know, they're um, keeping the wolves in check or they're they're moving the wolves around, so I don't have to worry about it. Right. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're obviously have more to be concerned about. Right. You know, based on the thing that I don't hear. like is, is is there's more and more cougars up there now. Really. Oh yeah. I I have the uh, the well the bar owner. I've, I know the bar owner real well, and. He said, come here, I want to show you something. He had a trail cam picture of a female cougar with three kits. Really? Uh, a mile from his cabin. <sighs> so not only are they there, but they're reproducing. Boy. And he had the DNR. <laughs> has, that, has, that been, has that been confirmed? Huh? Has that been confirmed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the DNR. I mean, he, he brought the photos of the DNR because it, I, I know the warden up there. And I said, you saw it? He said, yeah. He said, I said, dude, don't tell me that they're coming from North Dakota. There's no way. <laughs> you know, these are. Well, I, I, I'm. When I don't grouse hunt in the fall, I fly fish in the spring and summer. Okay. And I fish south of River Falls in the bluffs and the canyons. And for years, we would hear loud, weird noises at night because we would fish uh, the hex hatch down there at night. And finally, we had a local with us. He said, yeah, that's the Cougars. He said, there's three of them up in the bluffs. He said, yeah, but the DNR doesn't say anything about it. He said, they've crossed County Road F in front of school buses. Hmm. But the DNR, I mean, I had a state trooper that retired. It was a friend of mine. I was at the quick trip getting gas before work. He pulled in. He said, Mike, you want to see something? Yeah, all right. He turned on his camera and backed up. And there was a cougar crossing Highway 8 in front of his squad. Hmm. So I'm a little more concerned about the cougars because they can sit up in a tree and jump on top of you. Well, you know, I, yeah, I don't think about them too much, but, yeah, maybe maybe you should. I, and, like, this is, like, the second time I brought up wolves, and I don't – it's just – it's interesting to me. And, and actually, of a buddy of mine that hunts in Wisconsin, he actually had – a pretty strange wolf encounter a couple of weeks ago where I, I won't necessarily, I'll have to get him on here and he can tell the story at one point, but you know, nothing happened, but the wolf, you know, needed to be sort of deterred from kind of trailing his dog as I understood it. Yeah. And, you know, that's the stuff that you don't hear a lot about when it comes to bird dogs. You know, it's wolves don't want to be near you. They kind of keep their distance, which I think is for the most part is true. Cause I spend a lot of time in the woods as do you. And, Neither of us have had those encounters, but the cougar thing's interesting. You know, I, I think like with the amount of trail cams in the woods now, you'd almost would expect to start seeing a little bit more of that. And and I know there is at least one, I think it was Bayfield County, Wisconsin, which is Northwest. Right, yep. There was, there was a confirmed cougar trail cam. Um, and there's like an article, like if you Google that one up, you can find it. So, but the story, like you're getting at, the story was always, Young males striking out from the west, looking for right, looking ter- for, territory, yeah. and that's how that one ended up out in like New Hampshire or whatever it was. You know, went all the way across. But yeah, I I hear rumors around like our cabin, Wisconsin cabin, people around the lake talking about seeing cougars and stuff. But I I haven't seen it. 
I mean, myself. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I don't dwell on it. Right, but, right. You know, as you hear from more and more people that they've seen them or they got pictures mm-hmm. of them, then it's like, okay, great. You know, you know, I'm just waiting for somebody to have a picture of Bigfoot. That's all we need. <laughs> you know, cougars uh, and bears and wolves. Now we're gonna have Bigfoot running around. But, yeah, yeah. You know, it's still like it's still like a fun one. Keep me out of the grouse woods. I mean, I'm right. Like, you know, everybody says, "Oh, you got bears up there." You got. I'm not worried about the bears because yeah. they get harassed so bad they don't want anything to do with people. Yeah, I would think they would not want anything to do with a dog, dog especially over dog. there where they're getting run. Dog and, yeah. or people. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. worried about. I'm not worried about the bear. Yeah. You know, and the wolves. My dogs aren't four miles away from me, so yeah. you know. Uh, but you know, I'm always. You know, when you're walking around, you're always looking around just to see if you see something that don't belong there. But yeah. it's just like, you know, if you're worried about that, then don't be out in the woods. Right. You know, yeah. Like, it's it's the same conversation I had with Ann Jandernoff a few weeks ago. You know, it's use your observation. It's just like any good hunter does and be aware. But, and really, like you go into the woods, anything can happen. Like or, it's just, that's, that's it. Right. You know, you just have to be a little observant. Yeah. You know, if you hear something. And my dogs are all, you know, when I blow the whistle, they all come into me. And if I hear something that I don't like, we turn around and go the opposite direction. Sure. But, you know, it's not going to stop us from going into the woods. You know, I mean, we've seen, I was trail riding with Jenny one time. I think we had a bear cross in front of us. Wasn't it a bear? Yeah, we had a bear cross in front of us. So, I mean, running. So, I mean, does that mean we stopped trail riding? Well, no. I've I've seen that bird hunt actually. Yeah, uh, you know, my buddy and I were just hunting a a cover on Sunday. That previous time we had been in there, we were walking down this. It's like a must be some kind of an old remnant trail from like way back when. It's but it's like this straight line trail, and we looked up ahead and saw a big bear running down the trail in front of us. And that's you know that's kind of what you would expect it to be doing, running away from you. Yeah, you know, and it's just like the only. And I said, I know all the bear hunters where I hunt. I mean, yeah. really good guys. And um, matter of fact, I've taken a couple of them grouse hunting. And um, one time I was, this was what, two years ago. Uh, I was on my way up there and I got a phone call. And I recognized the number. It was one of the guys. And he said, where are you? I said, I'm coming up north to hunt. Turn around and go eat something. I said, why? He said, a bear killed a cow. We got 20 dogs on him. We got nine trucks following him. It's a big bear. We get the warden with us. We got to kill it. Wow. I said, all right. I'm a, I'll, I'll, he said, I'll call you when we're done. All right. So grab something to eat. And I got a phone call. I said, all right, you're good. Come on up. He said, we're at the way station. Come and see. It was 640 pound bear. Big. Wow. Had uh, hardly any teeth left. Jeez. That's why it took out the cow. And, um, yeah, but they had, they had twenty dogs on it, and um, the. But I mean, that's you know, you, you kind of try and, at least in my area, you you kind of have relationships with the bear hunters, and you know they all, sure. they all know my truck because I'm the only bird dog truck out there that says grouse dog on the license plate. So um, now I, now I know what to look for. Yeah, I mean they they all know my <laughs> truck, yeah. so you know they're all. And they all know what I hunt for. We were, I was hunting with a buddy of mine. We're driving down uh, one of the county roads, and all of a sudden, I, I'm on their frequency. Cause I always call him at, at night, and like, 
what frequency are you going to be on the radios? He said, we're on 19. He said, I said, all right, I'm going to be on there. I won't talk to you guys, but I'm going to listen just in case. He said, oh, yeah, you're good. Well, one day, all of a sudden, he goes, Mike, you out there? I'm like, yeah. He's like, it's Brad. I said, hey, Brad, what's going on? He said, um, where are you? I said, I'm on, you know, blah, blah, blah road. He said, yeah, we're, we're near that old swamp. And there's a bunch of these birds with those big bills that you guys chase. And there's a shit pile in here. <laughs> and I said, yeah. where the hell are you? He said, we're on this <laughs> road. I did a U-turn in the middle of the county road and we were screaming where they were. And, and he was right. There was a ton of woodcock in there. He's like, yeah, I thought you'd want to know that those birds with those big beaks are in here. I love it. Going. Yeah, that's that's making making friends with people who spend a lot of time in the woods. Well, that's I mean, it's, it's because they they I get grouse reports from them all the time. Yeah, and it's yeah. funny. I met one gentleman last year, two years no, two years ago, hunting by myself, hunting a new spot, truck on the road, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you, because um, bear season was still open. So you bear on? I said, no, no, because I'm a bobcat guide. I'm just checking my cameras for bobcats because he runs dogs on bobcats. He said, he said, what are you hunting? I said, oh, grouse and woodcock. He said, have you ever hunted this road? And I'm like, uh, I don't even know where that road is. He said, go down here, turn here, turn here. You'll find it. That so that area is covered with them. I'm Perfect. Like, well, I appreciate it. He goes, I don't bird hunt. I don't care. Yeah. He said, go for it, buddy. Have a good time. So, all right, turn here and here and here. And yeah, he was right. It was young aspen cuts and it was crawling with woodcock. And we hunted it last year and that's where we were putting up 50, 60 birds a day when we hunted. And this year, the same spot, he's lucky if you put 25 up one day. So, but it is really dry. Yeah. So either they're along the river or one guy said that they're leapfrogging and not even staying. They're just moving. That's interesting, which, yeah. Which I, they could be, too. Right. I have found the same thing that you're describing this year very, very inconsistent. You know, when I find them, I usually find a few of them. I've had, I don't even know if I've had one, of you know, like normally I am will have a, you know, 30, 40 flush day or whatever. I had one this year where I think I we put yeah. up 40 woodcock or so, but... A lot of spots that I go into that I'm usually good for five to six woodcock and, you know, I'm after the grouse, but I'll, I'll see woodcock. They're just not in there. Yeah. Or you flush one or something. Yeah, it's been strange. Yeah, it, it's been a weird – I mean, some guys are saying, you know, seeing a boatload of them. Mm-hmm. But yeah. It's just like – so I know where I'm going to go this weekend when I go. I'm going to check along the river and see if maybe they're they're hugging the river a little bit more. No. Because um, – there's a lot of land, because you know that area I'm talking about. There's a lot of land yep. around the river. Oh, yeah, a ton of it. Yeah. And um, so. And there's a lot of forestry. There's a lot of cuts. And, yeah, yeah, so it, um, it'd be something worth a try, because, um, I mean, I like woodcock. La- matter of fact, last year, we finally quit grouse hunting and just chased woodcock. <laughs> he, he looked at me and said, screw grouse hunting. Let's go woodcock hunting. So we, Why were you, were you, <laughs> I have to know, were you tired of grouse hunting or were you just not finding them? We were tired of grouse hunting. We just wanted okay. to hunt woodcock. Yeah. Because yeah. he, 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 he had two young dogs, and it was just a blast for these young dogs. And Sure. I mean, we took limits, but we killed one one out of every 10 birds. 
because you know he's like, well, we we'll be done in a half hour if we kill if, if three birds. So we yeah. said, let's kill one in every ten. So the dogs would point, would flush them, and then okay, that's seven. Nope, that's eight. Okay, kill the next one. That's ten. You know, and we turned uh, maybe an hour hunt into four hours, and the and the dogs had a blast. They were young dogs just going nuts finding woodcock. And they don't give a shit if there's a shot or not. Right. They're having fun chasing birds. They're still going to the next one. Yeah, and go on, you know, and go on to the next one. You know. I, so when when grouse and woodcock season winds down, then are you are you going down and chasing pheasants or no? What do you um, do once grouse and season woodcock season done? That's it. I don't have a lot of pheasant hunting around me because we got a lot of land, but they get pounded to death. Yeah. So it. Um, I mean, on opening Saturday, they're parked two hours before the opener. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I can drive an hour plus and have and hunt wherever you want. Hunt hundreds of thousands of acres and yeah. go anywhere I want. I mean, I'll be going up there until I can't go up there. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. once they get a major snowfall, you're not going to get in there because they don't plow those roads. Right. And even with chains, if you got stuck, you're a long walk home. Yeah. That's for sure. You know, so yeah, once once I'm done hunting, then it's basically, you know, let the dogs recoup and recover and, uh, you know, do other stuff around here. And then, uh, sure. you know, wait for spring for fly fishing. And I got a young dog I'm going to run in some hunt tests this spring. And then I uh, got the young cock, the new puppy to work next spring and summer. Yeah. So next spring and summer will be busy working young dogs. How do you feel about grouse numbers this year based on what you're seeing? Well, like I said, we, we've seen 65 more than last year. Okay. And I went, before you called, I looked on my previous year total, and we're up yep. 65 birds. Okay. And I know for a fact that, you know, I don't even go by the DNR drumming count anymore. No. Because I know how they do it, and it's just, you know, I did it once with them, and I'm like, dude, why don't you go over there? Oh, this is my spot. I said, there might be one here and seven over there. You know, so I'm like, whatever. So I don't even, it's, I use it as a generality. We all look at it. Right. right? I but mean, it, yeah. I don't take it serious because it's not an exact science. Was it windy? Was it rainy? Was, uh, right. you know, were they not paying attention to the drumming? You know, I go by the turkey hunters, the fly fishermen. Bear hunters. The deer, yeah. And the bear hunters. What have yeah. they seen? What have they heard? And um, and you're gonna go anyways, Mike. Well, I'm, yeah, mean. it's good year or bad year. I'm still gonna go. Yeah. I mean, I have a I have a friend of mine. She owns. She breeds some of the best labs in the country. She has a game farm, and I'm like, well, gee, you must slow down come fall. Oh no, I'm 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 swamped. I'm like, really? Well, and I got home and I told Jenny that, and she's like. Nobody wants to do the work. It's instant gratification. You can go out for 20 minutes and kill two birds and pretend you're hunting. They don't want to walk four or five miles, you know? And it's like getting slapped in the face. by I get smacked in the face. I mean, I've got, I've got four cuts in my hands that are still, you know, gashes from briars that are still closing up. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, or yeah, yeah, slip on something and fall face first in the mud. And, mm. You know, it's, but I, you know, low numbers, high numbers, but normally you can count on woodcock if grouse are low. 
except this year is just a bizarre woodcock year. Right. Yep. You know, so when the, when the grouse numbers are tanking, you've got you've got the woodcock to count on. Well, this year it's just like, okay, what the hell's going on with the woodcock? Yeah. I mean, I used to pheasant hunt and go to Iowa and South Dakota and then sharp tail hunted. And yeah. It's like, you know, yeah, that's all great. I don't go to Iowa anymore. And um, South Dakota, it's, you know, it, it's gotten too commercialized because uh, I know the guy that uh, McCain's game farm in Southern Wisconsin, they delivered 2 million pheasants to all the, all the uh, hunting elephants in South Dakota. I talked to the driver. He said, yeah, we bring 2 million in August and we go to all their operations and they pre-release them. And I'm like, so they charge you $1,800 for three days for pre-release birds pass. I can, I can hunt uh, Africa for cheaper. (laughs) Well, I can, I could have, I could have done an African bird hunt for Franklin and sand grouse because we went to the sportsman show. We ran into a, you know, they have those guys, you know, all the, um, Sure. He was sure. a vendor from Africa, and he did bird yeah. hunting, sand grouse and Franklin yep. grouse with short hairs. And for four days, it was 1800 bucks. And I'm like, I would rather do that. Than go to a. Than go to a preserve and or go to some ranch in South Dakota that's pre-releasing birds in August. Oh, they're all wild birds. Bullshit. You can, well, you can have, I think I know enough to know that they're not all. I mean, there's plenty of wild birds in South Dakota, right? Oh, there but are. there's a lot of there's a lot of places that are supplemented bird or what? I don't know how the heck you describe it, but yeah, there's there's a lot of that going on from what I understand. Well, to, but, to, to kill two million birds a year, you have to supplement the population. Sure, you have to. It just doesn't. They, they don't breed enough, you know, and the weather and predators and drought and rain and but yeah, I mean, I think the only reason we didn't go is because something happened. There was some problem, or there's some problems in South Africa or something. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to get stuck. COVID, COVID. No, it wasn't COVID. It was it was <laughs> some political unrest yeah. going on in South Africa. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get stuck there and not be able to find a way home. And you got grouse and woodcock covers back home. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's. I mean, I'll yeah. hunt until I physically can go up there, yep. and then once I'm done, you know, I'm done. It's, it's. I mean, I've been out already 29 times. Okay. So my dogs see more birds in a year than a lot of dogs see in a lifetime, you know, and it's. If we're lucky with weather, maybe you get another 29 Yeah, times. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it just, I know this weekend's not supposed to be too bad, but, you know. And it, uh, it's cooling. It's cooling down. The ground is a long way from frozen, but yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I'm right there with you as, as long as, as long as we can get into the woods and there's not, not a foot of snow. You know, 45 yeah. and sunny is perfect. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, cause, yep. but, um, dogs never get hot. No, I mean, you can, and there were days this fall that we were done after about three hours. Yeah. There was a lot of heat. And early. it was like, yep. you know, I'm not beating my dogs into the ground um for yeah. a bird it's just you know so we would go to the trout stream and sit on the tailgate and drink coffee or a pop or water web and let the dogs go swimming and then he'd go yeah. back to his camper and i'd boogie home and like see you tomorrow morning yeah you know and it's just like um you know and i've made a lot of good friends grouse hunting i mean i have for sure all my puppy owners i've grouse hunted with i got friends from kentucky i grouse hunt with 
Matter of fact, the first gentleman I ever guided from Kentucky, I donated a grouse hunt to a Kentucky Quail Forever chapter. And he was the high bidder. And he got to bring a friend. I said, yes, sir. It's for you and a friend. It's a weekend. And they, I said, you can stay here. Or I said, there's a nice motel. In t- oh, no, no, we'll have the motel because we, you know, so we don't. So I've made reservations for him. And so fr- we hunted Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I gave him two extra days. I said, if you guys want to come up early, hunt, it's on me. No problem. I said, I don't care. I'm hunting. So if you want to come early, you're more welcome. Sure. So, uh, Saturday, Friday, Jenny told us not to hunt late because she was going to grill out. So I said, all right, we're going to be done at this certain time. You guys can go to take showers, meet me back at the house. She's going to grill and eat. Well, they uh, come in the house. They said, we got something for you. I said, you didn't have to give me anything. I said, I told you that I don't need any tips. I don't need nothing. I donated it. He said, no, you're going to need this. And he opened up the box, and it was a bottle of Maker's Mark bourbon. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't take this because I know what this costs. <laughs> and he's like, we don't pay for it what you pay for it. So I got two bottles of Maker's Mark bourbon downstairs that are fermenting that every once in a while I'll take a couple of shots. But, I mean, I've made a lot of good friends by grouse hunting that – uh you know, hey, how's it going? How the dogs doing? And you always sit and talk and try and get together. And sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. And grouse hunting is is, is a different world than pheasant hunting or sharp tail hunting or quail hunting. It, it it's a different type of hunter. You you have to want to abuse yourself to chase a bird, because I've I've cut my face up cut above my eye i've sliced my hands open yet you still go the next day yep and you have to be dedicated or stupid one of the two yeah yeah sometimes i wonder to take the abuse but grouse hunters are a different breed i think it's different than you know a big group of pushing a cornfield of pheasant hunting yeah i mean if it you know if it if it weren't for grouse hunting i don't know what i would yeah that's yeah that's i wonder that i don't know what the heck i'd be doing i really do i mean if it weren't if i didn't live where i live and had grouse hunting i don't know what the hell i I wouldn't have all the dog i would have a dog or two but i wouldn't have my whole pack you know yeah i mean i'm I'm look i'm in this her office and i've got the whole wall covered with dog pictures of dogs (laughs) that i've lost or dogs that i still have and i've got their titles and their ribbons and uh I mean, I just come in here sometimes and just look at the pictures and go, God, that's been a long time. Yeah. You know, as, as you get older, and like I said, I'm pushing 60, I, I come in here a lot more and go, God, I can remember when, when we did that. Yeah. You know, and I got friends that, I said, do you remember when we hunted this spot? And he goes, no, I don't remember. I said, God, you got the memory of a chipmunk. <laughs> it, it, it's, I'm serious. This guy's got the memory of a chipmunk. And I, can, I, didn't, I didn't know that they had short memories. Oh, God, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I, mean, I can remember every single spot that we've hunted over the years just by, just by memory. Well, I'm, you know what? I'm, your journal helps. Even by writing stuff down, you know, that, that helps your retention and kind of puts it all together for you. You know, and it's, it's, you know, like I said, I'm in the office now and looking at all the dogs that I've owned. Yeah. It's just like I look. What's back. your – oh, go, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. 
I was just gonna say I, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this oh, up yeah, no, shortly, but I want to ask you uh, what is your favorite or what's your go to grouse load? I mean, are you typically shooting something like a grouse and woodcock load? Do you mix it up? Like, what do you like to shoot? Because you made me want to ask you that when you mentioned you write down that down in your journal. Oh, um, all of my shotgun shells are Fiokis. Okay. The early season is usually a seven and a half. Okay. Now I've I've gone to uh, I've gone to sixes. Okay. And you know I, I'll I'll start off um, if I've I mean if I've got a double it'll be you know skeet and skeet or skeet and improved. Yep. Using an auto early season, I'll either be skeet and cylinder. So now when all the autos and the pumps I've put in modified because the shots have been a lot longer. Okay. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start carrying more sixes than I do normally seven and a half or eight. I've got a couple boxes of nines, yep. but I've, I only shoot 20 and 28s. I mean, every, okay. every gun that I've got in my um, safe is a 20 or a 28. I don't need a 12. And um, I had a 410 at one time. That was a great little woodcock gun, but uh, it uh, the firing pins in it somehow – got really messed up and it would have been $600 to fix. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it'll just sit now. Maybe I'll fix it. Not so much. And, you know, it's, but, um, yeah. and I like a light gun. I mean, most of my guns are five pounds and under. Yeah. You know, cause you're, you, you're going eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 miles. You really want to carry something that's seven pounds. Yeah. It helps to be able to kind of one hand it and weave your way through the cover. And yeah. Stuff. You know, and it's, but um, well, it was great to talk to you finally. I mean, we DM each other quite a bit. Yeah, I'm glad we've kept in touch over the years, and I, you know, I have no plans in stopping that. And you got to promise me that if the book ever does come together, or or you know, shoot, you'll if we be, just want to get together, get the first and you want copy. All right, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate that. And if you want to get together, and we can talk about some of the stories that are in there, or let's do it sometime. Yeah, appreciate. Well, I appreciate the time. Um, Good luck this weekend if you go out. If you do, PM me and let me know what you've seen. At, uh, yeah, and I'll uh, I'll do the same. Like I, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna try and go out one day for sure. Okay. I don't know what she's got planned for trying to get everything ready for the winter, but I'm gonna try and at least go out one day. I've got Halloween stuff with the kiddos and stuff this weekend, so I will be around. But I will I will hopefully be getting out into the woods for some portion of both days. But yeah, we'll keep in touch, man. I'll give you the bird report, and looks like we got a we got a pretty good stretch coming up. We're right in the midst of the best hunting of the year. All right, sounds good. Take care, Nick. All right, buddy. See you, Mike. Yeah. Bye, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. That does it for this episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Quick reminder, we are presented by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, CZ USA, Garmin, Sage and Breaker, Uplander Lifestyle, and Dakota 283. Rate, review, subscribe, like, and share. Catch you on the next episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx.
Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.